Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. You know, it's it's a bounty of riches. I mean, people send these things. Is this I don't know what am I supposed 20, to say? Twenty eight years now. What am I supposed? I mean, I understand. <laughs> I understand bagels, but yeah, belts. I went out bowls? there. I went out there deliberately. Uh, you know, swipe the card, man. Yeah, I went out there deliberately <laughs> on Skechers because we were saying happy birthday to Howie Long, and now paydays show up and everything shows up. I don't, I don't really know what to do. <laughs> The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All righty, then. It's a Monday. We're going to do shows Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of this week. The ice storm, thankfully, is gone from Washington, D.C., which I'll talk about in a second. Michael is here, six feet one inches away, properly social distanced on Uncle Benny's table. Jesse is whining. You will hear her throughout the show. She just she goes through biscuits. We buy these, like, 10-pound bags of dog biscuits for, you know, 40 bucks, whatever they cost. flavor? Yeah, well, I don't know if it's, it's assorted colors. I don't know if it's assorted flavors. You haven't I tried them? I have not eaten them, no. But she, you know, <laughs> she eats so many of them. There's a commercial out now about a certain kind of dog food which prevents your dog from becoming a fat load. And I may have to get that dog food because she just whines and whines and whines. And the She's only way to pacify you. her, yeah, is to give her something to eat, which is annoying. Um... Tom Hennessy in DeSoto, Texas. Thank you very much for your long letter, Tom Hennessy. My age in life hates all the things that I hate, likes all the things that I like, so I appreciate the letter very much. And we got a nice magnet. I showed this to you yesterday, Michael, a nice magnet from people who are getting married. Uh, The date is October 16th in 2021 in Cincinnati, Ohio. These will be the Chates. wonder if they'll serve the chili. Ryan, oh, uh, Cincinnati chili. The skyline. Yeah, I don't. Sweet chili. Yeah, it's got sugar mm. in it and cinnamon in now, it. Now, any chance this wedding could be just outside of Cincinnati at Camargo Golf Club? Well, then we, we should be invited then. Enclosed, you will find to save the date for our wedding in Cincinnati, Ohio on October 16, 2021. Uh, if you would just like to send a gift, that's fine too. We are registered to cash, which I think is sort of funny. And this is Ryan in Cincinnati, and it's Ryan. And and I don't know. I don't know the young woman's name, but God bless them both. And and well, you're going to get them in trouble before the wedding even happens. Have a wonderful life. Um, <laughs> so I mentioned that we had ice here. We had ice here on Saturday. We have not seen the sun in Washington, D.C. in about four or five days, and I think are unlikely to see it for a couple more. We are getting snow and ice again Substantial amounts, apparently, on Thursday. Ice is the worst. You've been saying this for weeks now. Ice is the... Well, I follow Kevin's forecast. Ice (laughs) is the worst because you can't walk in it. Mm -hmm. I don't care about the driving. I don't have to drive that much, but you can't walk in it. So when you have to go out and take the dog and you can't walk, you know, so I use those crampons, and those are good. They help, but there's got to be ice and snow. You can't just use them if, if, if you're just worried about a little bit of black ice and all the roads and the sidewalks are clear, they don't really help you. Right, there needs to be enough for it to grip into Traction, you need traction. So I end up walking on the grass whenever possible because you can sink into the ice on the grass, and then they are very, very effective. I really don't, just not crazy about ice. And then as Michael pointed out, the, the District of Columbia, in their zeal, in their zeal to protect their residents, and they, they get out ahead of it. We've been very lucky. The last two snow and ice events have been on weekends, so we've been very lucky. Get the roads early. aren't as crowded. But you've, you've noticed, brine, you've noticed what, is, what is being dropped on the streets. It's a salt dump 
yeah, with, with as little regard <laughs> yes. as if as if the Sheehan boys she, yes. just left their trunk open. Yeah, it's just it's like at the at, at one end of the street is a giant mound of salt as if to say, hey, do it yourself. We brought <laughs> you the around. salt. Now distribute it yourselves. So we got it's that. It's almost like they think the tires, you're going to drive over it and, and that gonna... will distribute this across yes. the street. So anyway, I'm glad that I'm glad that's over. Although, At least there's as I salt say, in your zip code. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're getting another thing. Um, what did I want to talk about? I, I, I guess what Wilbon will be on, and we'll ask him about Pebble. But because Michael is here, Pe- the Pebble Beach tournament, and I, Jordan Spieth for the second week in a row had the lead on Sunday, and for the second week in a row receded early in the round. And if you receive, it's not that he played badly; it's that he did not play winning golf. You needed uh, Daniel Berger shot 65, seven 65 under. with two eagles on a Sunday. Back-to-back weeks, you saw your eventual winner with two eagles tremendous. on a Sunday. Absolutely tremendous. And what people say is that you got to make hay at Pebble Beach in the first seven holes. From eight on, it's very, very hard. Although Charlie Hoffman had like five birdies on the back. But, Michael, what did you think of, of – are we going to see Jordan Spieth win because he's been in position two weeks in a row, finishes high – doesn't win. What would worry me as a Jordan Spieth fan is you, you again. You see Jordan Spieth make these miraculous holeouts, and uh, three years ago it's at the British Open. Go get that! It's the famous bunker shot the day after Walker Thomas was born, yeah. up in Connecticut, where he just goes throwing a club into Michael Greller's caddy's hands, and then he holes out twice on par fours and still does not win, including the unlikeliest shot uh, on 16, where the green is so severely pitched, you can't even get up and down if you miss the right side. Hits it right, and hits it to it, the right side and rolls it in, and, he, and rolls left. And it he does this with regularity and still does not win. win. The worry would be over the weekend, he bogeys far too many par fives when he is in position. He saw third shots, I believe it's the 14th hole, the par five with the severe uh, false front where he ripped it off on Saturday, led to a bogey because it's a very tight bitch. And then yesterday, you see this agonizing back and forth with, with his, his caddy. caddy. He goes, well, I got adrenaline. How much adrenaline you got? A, a little, not a lot. I mean, this is you're basically on a, on a couch with these two. But what I would say is, you, you saw you saw his approach, a a speed to his long game that I've never seen, and a willingness to hit the harder shot when he didn't have to. If you still saw the struggles where he was making big numbers over the last couple of years, I don't think he would have done that. So you saw number ten. They're using a new tee. That is, if you watch Shell's Wonderful World of Golf, he's the old tee. He's basically in the dunes, hitting over people. They're looking up at him. That's Jordan Spieth. Many of the players near the lead are hitting woods, long irons, sort of more towards the left. He hits driver right over the corner, and he bullies his way into a birdie on that hole. And he's sort of still close. He's still close. And then on the 16th, he's pretty much out of it. But most players are hitting long iron again, woods. He hit a, he hit a I think, a a long iron the day before when he holed out. He rips driver, and they, the shot tracer can't even find the it's ball. It's within 50 yards of the green. And he hits kills a, it. He hits a bad wedge shot, and yeah. he sort of laughs it off. But those are, the, those are the challenges, the tackles, particularly when he hits some bad tee shots on the back nine. You saw an 11 where he's out of position. Off and right. Off and right, and, and Faldo says you can't play from over there. But So he still took the harder shot. This was a case where he would have had to shoot a 66 to, to get to the number to win. And that's a really hard ask at Pebble if you don't get off to one of those really hard, really hard, um, really really fast starts. And you look at Berger, those two eagles. That's that is hard to beat. And you look at the year that he's had since they came back from Berger's sort of par or better every standoff. every round. 
par better every and round. And he should have had another. He actually looked like he was going to eagle the six hole as well. So, yeah, let's, let's, Berger's father was a professional tennis player, Jay Berger. So that, that would explain his swing that sort of looks like a topspin forehand swing every once yeah, in a I while. Yeah, I think it looks like a serve. When he gets to the top, it yeah. looks like he sort of laid off the, uh, the racket. Berger's really good. He's, he's a very good, consistent player. I wanted to talk, and I don't want to bore people forever on golf. If you didn't watch it, you wouldn't know this. But there was a fellow in contention the whole way named Nate Latchley. And he, his temper, his temper is crazy. I mean, he slammed a wedge into the bag, almost took off his caddy's hand, and the next hole he three put. It was terrible. He four putted or three four putted. He four, four putted. putted for a seven. And three, he missed three putts within five feet, and and it was terrible. But then he stuck his putter into the ground on the green. I mean, you should get fined for that. If I was a they sponsor of his, if I was a sponsor of his, I would seriously consider dropping him. Right? I mean, wasn't he crazy? Well, I, I would have a. Uh... Uncle John, give him a phone call and just say that's not necessarily what the brand stands yeah. for when, when one of our other ambassadors, Kevin Streelman, had a, another tremendous Sunday. This is, it actually speaks to a larger issue where you start to say, what does a regular PJ Tour event mean? And you think about how they focused on the majors, WGC events, FedEx Cups, and all this, and the, the pressures on players to play overseas. Pebble Beach, if I'm going to ask Nigel to list 10 golf courses, Pebble Beach is going to be one of the top three as he thinks back to U.S. Opens and you think about what history has happened on that golf course. Absolutely. And he looked at uh, essentially what was a glorified uh, challenge event or second-tier alternate event. You had great names, obviously, who were rising to the top, but you can't have some of those players when there are so many good stories, particularly about sort of the, the advocate tour players who are making some of these starts. You don't want to see that. And he did. He, he steadied himself after the 15th where he, he slams the club into the bag and Dottie goes, but he immediately righted himself, made the bunker shot, got up and down, and moved on. But it like you notice this. It's the the John Roms of the world. You notice when they're when they have moments of anger, flashes of anger that look violent, and you go, "Well, that can't be good." Yeah, some of these, it, it's the some of it reveals there might maybe something dark. I don't I don't know the yeah, don't know particular the story, but it's you know I, I hope that's not we don't see more of that. Okay, other other things in the news. Um, I found out that the the man who painted the lovely watercolor, and I'd pronounce his name George Mallet. It's George Mallet. We had a conversation over the weekend. He is going to attempt to paint a larger watercolor, um, which we'll put up on the set of PTI and then take to the beach house. So I'm very thrilled about that, and maybe we'll be able to show you at some point when we, through the miracle of video, we'll be able to show you what the small note card looks like and also i know you would expect me to do this uh yeah the um impeachment failed so uh well one of the things that i found amazing and by the way i didn't find it amazing that the impeachment failed anybody who thought the impeachment was going to go through was out of his mind um so it was just you know it was an exercise in politics and you can you can go on whatever side you want on that i'm not going to argue either side i am going to say this i was watching and this was saturday Right or was it Friday? Whichever day, whichever day the impeachment vote came through, I am watching. I think it's Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, it's Saturday I am yeah. watching Pebble Beach, and and um, witnesses. Jim no Nance. Witnesses. Jim Nance is saying we're going to have to break away. We're going to break away in a little while. We're going to break away. We're going to go to the network to the news. Uh, we're going to give you a little bit of news on the impeachment. And he didn't say what it was. We're going to give you a little bit of news on the impeachment. And he teased that for at least 15 minutes. 
And it wasn't teasing as much as it was saying, look, we're, they're going to take the television away from us. We're not going to be on camera. We're going to have to go to dot com and we're going to have to do this. And so I was prepared in my mind for a long siege, a long siege. And I was not going to get the golf tournament again. And so, okay, you know, I'm resigned to this. They go to CBS network to Nora O'Donnell. And she says the impeachment is over. The impeachment failed. They cut to a shot of Senator Patrick Leahy saying it failed. And I'm not exaggerating. In three minutes, you were back at the golf. In three minutes. This is like this is a story that you think is one of the biggest stories in the history of the country. And in three minutes, you're back to Sir Nick Faldo. I just amazed at that. Absolutely amazed. It shows the priorities of the country. Like if on a weekend, if you got sports fans, you know they don't they don't really want to see this impeachment stuff. So in three, did am I right on this? Yeah, three minutes, Thank maybe you. less. Hello, friends. Maybe less, and you're back to the golf. Wonderful, as far as I was concerned. Oh, do totally you think? Wonderful. Do you think there was a producer screaming in Nora O'Donnell's ear? Come on, wrap it up. Hurry up! Hurry back. up! Wrap it up! Wrap it up! <laughs> Just so amazing. Neil putting out. And the other thing is they they all make a big deal about how they, they go, and this was the closest, most bipartisan impeachment vote of all time. And you go, okay, how many were there? Four? Like this doesn't happen a lot. It happened, it doesn't happen sometimes for a hundred years. Let's you know, that's that's the sports influence. You need a record. You need the Elias Sports Bureau to tell you that this is the closest one they ever stopped. We will take a break. Is it Wilbon when we return? Yes, that's right. Michael Wilbon when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Brooklyn ad. How's your comforter looking these days? A lot like you feel, maybe a little lumpy, maybe a little deflated, no longer has the same fluff it used to. It's time for a refresh with Brooklinen. Whether you're an early bird, you like to hit the snooze button, everyone deserves to sleep in ultimate comfort, and that starts with your comforter, hence the word comforter. Brooklinen can help you. I wrote that. They didn't write that. They're not that smart. Brooklinen can help you get your best sleep. If you sleep with a comforter, you're looking for one thing, comfort. They are following up on my point. Okay. Brooklyn and creates beautiful, high-quality bedding and home essentials. They work directly with manufacturers to give you a fair price. No middlemen, no markups. Their comforters come in lightweight all season and ultra-warm to suit every type of sleeper and lifestyle. There's even a weighted comforter option for stress relief. I think Saliza would want that. He'd want to, like a child, want to be wrapped up in it. They also offer a variety of materials, including an eco-friendly recycled down alternative. You know what I've noticed? We're not talking about Rich and Vicky anymore. Oh, then the new copy doesn't have Rich and Vicky. Maybe they sold. Treat yourself to ultimate comfort with Brooklinen's Comforter Collection. Go to brooklinen.com and use the promo code TONY to get $25 off with a minimum purchase of $100. Let me spell it for you. B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. You enter the promo code TONY for $25 off for a minimum purchase of $100. I've used my own money on these. Okay, this stuff's good. I've spent money, and you know I don't like to spend money. That's brooklinen.com, promo code Tony. And please, people, use the code. You're listening listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a group called Future Ancestors and a song called Ghost Within the Shell. And I'm going to read the email. 
This is Alex from Frederick, Maryland. My older brother Andy and I have been in various bands together throughout different times of our lives, going from a barroom duo to a four-piece band in 2008, finally to a full-fledged five-piece band that played at the University of Maryland's Battle of the Bands in 2012. We were runners-up to open UMD's Art Attack for a rapper named B.O.B., but alas, we did not win the final round. Flash forward to today, I don't play as much as I used to, but Andy has continued to write, record, and produce his own music in his basement and could easily play lead guitar for a touring band. Can you uh, reach out to Peaches and see if she needs someone? Anyway, please find attached a song entitled Ghost Within a Shell from Andy's newest album called When the Fire's Out. If you want to hear more of his stuff, he releases music under the moniker Future Ancestors and all of his songs are available for streaming on Bandcamp. So that's lovely. Nice to have that. Michael Wilbon joins us now from Arizona, and there's a lot of things to talk about, not necessarily reaching the level of, of tremendously important stories. But let's start with one that I just saw on SportsCenter, and because of the time zone difference, you are probably aware of this. I saw Anthony Davis limping off a court last night which what, with what is said to be an Achilles injury. That, how serious is this, and are you familiar with this? Familiar. I was watching it live. I watched the Lakers yeah. last night. I figured. And uh, Anthony Davis had missed a couple of games, Tony, sitting out as a precaution because that Achilles was sore. Oh, so okay. Out a couple of games already. That happened this, you know, this the last five, six days. And when he walked off, limped off, I just said, Oh my God, I do not want this to be nobody wants this to be a season you know, ending injury. Um, but he was, he, he could put, it seemed no weight at all on that, on that ankle and on that foot. And uh, he's supposed to have an MRI today. And either this is going to be hopefully nothing and he's out a little bit of time or if he's out, I mean, if it's, if it's as bad as it looked, Tony, um, it, 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 that would be terrible news for the NBA and the Lakers. Well, let, let me get to let me get to the other side of that, which is if this are you telling me this is a chronic condition that they are monitoring all the time? So that means it could you know, we could go out. It's likely to go out. It's likely to be almost as bad on a day to day as it is if you find out it's a tear. Right. I mean, he, he's he's not at full strength for any great length of time. Am I right? I don't Who knows? I mean, yeah. Um, maybe two weeks, maybe two weeks of rest or a third, you know, three weeks is that's still a prognosis that the Lakers can, can withstand. Uh, but remember before, I mean, Durant had something going on with that part of his body before he suffered. That's right. And then right. kept him out for a year and everybody said, Oh, it's not related. I, it knows? is related. Um, it's all the strain that they yeah. put on their bodies, it is yeah. all related. Yeah. They're like racehorses now. I mean, they yeah. jump and they run and they're so fast and their legs aren't, you know what I'm saying? Their legs aren't yeah. strong enough to to withstand all of the pressure that, I think that's true. You know, I look at, who's I, the guy I fear it, for it, the most is Zion Williamson. I fear for him the most. Yeah, yeah, well, understandably so. Um, and, and obviously, Anthony Davis is a, slimmer version. I mean, he's not yeah. carrying around a ton of weight necessarily. Right, right. And he's certainly not overweight ever. Nope. nope. But I, I just, you know, I, I just don't want to. <laughs> Although, really, you know, that, that would really impact the season. It, it would, oh, no, no, it would they, they can't the win. 
They can't win no. if he if he doesn't no. play. And I, I mean, I said That's that right. about these injuries. But the guy who puts an unbelievable amount of stress on his body for like 15 or 18 years, LeBron James, never gets hurt. He never gets hurt. Doesn't. No, but they're, they're, they're just, listen, there are people like that. I, you know, we were sitting around talking about players uh, here at my house over the weekend. And, um, you know, my son gets tired of me talking about people who are durable and, and, and who isn't. And he said, okay, Dad, then who, you know, tell me a guy who was durable. I said, you know what? Let's look up somebody who's not as obvious as others. Let's look up John Wilt. Stockton. Wilt was durable. John Stockton Wilt, was yeah, durable. But, Wilt, yeah. but Wilt, Wilt had one season where Wilt missed most of it because he had an injury. We looked up John Stockton, Tony. Stockton played, let's say Stockton played 18 years or something like that. Maybe it's 19 because he played until he was 40. Stockton played like 18 seasons. He missed, he played 64 games one season, which is a minus 18. And he played 78 games one season, which is a minus four. He missed 18 games in his entire career. He played <laughs> 82, yeah. 82, 16 yeah. times. You know, and so, there, yes, there are people like that. Anthony Davis is not one of them. Nope. But no, he's not. Anthony Davis is a great player. And any team he's on cannot withstand him not being there. Nope. Nope. All right, let's switch the topics. Let's switch to a very minor thing, but something that I feel good about, and you may as well. Uh, we had a, a disagreement about Chris Doyle, not that he had to go. That was not in, in disagreement. What was in disagreement was who was to blame for all of these things. And indeed, Chris Doyle, the strength coach who took a settlement to be to leave the University of Iowa and then was signed by Urban Meyer to be the strength coach for Jacksonville. Indeed, he resigned. What are your thoughts about that? Looking, looking at the, what happened and sort of the public pressure, what are your thoughts about that? Good. Get the hell out. That's my only thought. But that's, that's the only thought that, that really matters. Tony, I, the disagreement we had, you keep saying who's to blame. I'm not talking about who's to blame. I know who the blame is. The blame is on Chris Doyle. My point is, was and is a secondary point, but an important point. The NFL has been a safe haven for this. For, for, for a lot of people like that, unlike the league we just talked about, the NBA, even though the racial makeup of the labor force is almost identical in terms of African-American participation. The NFL is a place where they can't even get their hiring right now. They can't, they can't get something basic like hiring a head coach. And they lie. They have people who are liars who say they're going to do this, and they promise the commissioner, or they promise whomever, commissions and panels. They don't do it. And it's been a say The reason that Urban Meyer could so easily pull this off is because it's tolerated in the NFL. Because there's nobody to say forcefully, and it could be privately, if you do this, you will incur my wrath. There isn't that. There's never that in the NFL. I think Goodell is getting closer and closer in the last two years to that. I do. I wouldn't be surprised, as I told you. No, but what I'm saying is I I think Goodell may be – it won't surprise me at all if Goodell made a phone call to the owner of Jacksonville and said, get this guy out. We're not having maybe, this. Maybe he, maybe he did. Maybe he did. 
But that, too, is not the point. The point is this is what the NFL, this is the culture of the NFL. It's okay. It's okay to think like this, talk like this, hire like this. It's okay. So let me ask you that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Nobody ever described, nobody, nobody would ever describe the NFL as a black league. Like they describe the NBA all the time. That's right. Because the the NFL isn't a black league because the face of the NFL is never black ever. It's It's difficult to just get inclusion. Yeah. Let me, let me go to another, let me go to the down the road question. Because I think you like Urban Meyer a lot more than I do. Anybody might if they liked him at all, because I don't like him. And and I've told you that for years. I don't like Urban Meyer. But but because the league is 65 or 70 percent black and because the free agents that come about often come about like right under the star level. You know, I mean, there's a lot of guys moving all the time. Will black players look at Urban Meyer right now and go, I don't know. I'm not sure. Look what he did. Look at the guy he attempted to hire and sell it publicly. Sell it. Does that put I, him? I, what? Go ahead. No, I think I think I think that will happen to what degree, Tone? Mm. I don't know. I mean, again, it's it's a way of life. It, it's a way of life in football. And 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 the NFL has had this and. Um, the feeder system, which is Division One college football, primarily, primarily uh, a, a, a sport whose dominant culture is—I is, shouldn't say dominant culture, but a, a big part of the culture is just the southeastern part of the United States. Where, sorry if I offend somebody, that's a big part that which we're just describing that conversation, that discussion, that offensive kind of behavior that it's a it's been characteristic for for a century or more so i i don't know if it will like how many what percentage of black free agents will say wait a minute you know i will tell you this i had a former player who is a former nfl player who's white get in touch with me over the weekend and he said how is it that urban meyer given the people that he knows and has coached and has coached with, how is it that Urban Meyer doesn't have someone in his life who's black, who he called on the phone and said to, hey, I'm thinking about hiring this guy, Chris Doyle. What do you, what do you think? How is it he doesn't have that? And I, I, that's a great question. And, it, and I think you will agree, a legit question. Like totally legitimate. Private conversation, why wouldn't that... It, why wouldn't that that conversation have taken place, given Urban Meyer's vast experience in football? And I, you know, I don't know whether I don't know Tony how many free agents will really look at that and be influenced by it in their view viewing of Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it has to do, honestly, down the road. Is Trevor Lawrence going to be great? I mean, are they going to be good? Because if they're going to be right. good, yeah. you know, then people are going to say, I want to go play someplace that's good. Let me move off this. Did you, did you play golf yesterday or did you watch Pebble? Did you watch any of Pebble? I, I, I watched. I, did, I didn't play. Um, I, I went to the range for a bit. Um, and I watched a lot of it. And even last night when I got in, um, I, I, I watched. And I, I don't know. It, it was, I thought, Friday, Saturday – 
was sort of compelling, and I didn't think that yesterday. I don't know why. I, I don't. I don't know why. Really, I felt that way. Um, but I watched. I watched. I wound up watching quite a bit of the entire weekend. So. So what do you, Michael and I were talking about this at the beginning of the show, which obviously you couldn't have heard, but what, what do you think of Spieth two Sundays in a row? He has a chance to win. He's in the lead. He recedes early in the round. He might make a comeback. He doesn't have a terrible round, but he's not competitive to win in the last four or five holes, unless he throws in like, you know, four birdies or something like that. What do you make of that? That this, you know, I, I was never, I, I didn't have a real position on Jordan Speed. He was great when he was young, and I didn't really root for him. And I certainly didn't root against him. Um, I have gotten to the point now where I root hard for him because this struggle that he's in, this slump, this whatever, this malaise, whatever you want to call it, he is, he is battling demons at this point, it seems, not just he's in a slump, right? I mean, he, 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 and he, and he's battling it to the point where he, it seems he's almost out. He's right there. Yeah, he's, he's there. Like, it's he's like there. a horror movie, you know, and he's at the front <laughs> door and you're screaming, there's the door, kid, just walk through it. Right, and he can't right. do it. He can't do it. He's, he's given it everything he's got. He is desperately trying to call on every resource in his person. And he's, what is he, 27? He's, he's 27. not 30. Yeah. 20, I think he's 27. And I root for him the last two weeks. And you just feel bad. Like, geez. Now, look, I mean, Jordan Speed is not going to go broke. It's not like he, you know, had a serious injury, anything like that. But in, the, in just the context of sport and, and athletes who have been at the top of the mountain trying to get back there and battling all the things that confront even the greatest of athletes and the greatest thing is failure of performance. Um, I find myself rooting for him in a way I never had. I don't know what will happen. These two weeks are very encouraging on some level, but then he didn't, he didn't cash in. He didn't break through. What does that mean? No, no. And, and he got, and I don't want to say he got beat personally because everybody got beat, but last week it was kept throwing six under, on a Sunday, which is great. And yesterday it's Berger throwing six under on a Sunday with two Eagles, yeah. which is great. Yeah. I mean, that those are winning scores. You know, it's not, yeah. it, it's, it, those, it, those are winning scores. Nobody can say, oh, yeah. a lot of people lost. No, 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 no. That guy won, right? I mean, that guy he won. Steve did not go Jean Vandeveld. I mean, you know, that, right, right. Some, somebody right. had to go out there and win and did. And you just wonder, wow. And it also, it also reminds me just of how difficult it is to win a single golf tournament. A single golf tournament. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah, it's so hard. It's so difficult. It's so and, you know, and Pebble is one of those places where, you know, Tony, at one point Pebble was my bucket list item. I wanted to play there. And I decided, um, well, I guess Don decided we were going to play there for my 50th birthday. And so we played Pebble. And then, you know, I said, what the hell? I don't have to, this doesn't have to be a once in a lifetime bucket list. So we Keep played playing. my 55th birthday. And then we played my 60th birthday. <laughs> and, then, and then on an off day during Golden State last year, I just said, the hell with this. I'm Let's two go play hours Pebble. away. <laughs> Let's go. So I've, I've now played Pebble about six times. It's good. And, um, you know, you it's know good. every shot, you know, every hole, you know, every view. Yeah, um, you know my experience with it. It ain't like Jim Nance who lives on it. 
Yeah, but you yeah, had a hole in one at his house. You had a hole in one at his house. You're on yeah, the wall. Jim You're on the wall. Acknowledge, yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. I'll talk to you later. All right, Tom. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls, in his car in Arizona. We will take a break. When we return, Liz Clark will join us to talk about uh, the Daytona 500, which was finished yesterday. I mean, I stopped it. Every time I came back to it, there was rain. I stopped. But we'll talk to Liz about it. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Policy Genius ad. And then it always says, personalize, rotate, and make it your own. Well, then why are you writing this copy that's so precise and good? It's the shortest month of the year, meaning you've got slightly less time to check off your February to-dos. Just on a personal note, um, Liz was over yesterday and seemed amazed that once again, March has the exact same dates as February. And I said this happens every year because February is 28 days, so the repetitive pattern happens. And she goes, yes, but I, I was just unaware that we were back to February again. Right, Michael? That yeah, was, I'm going to have to hear about this later. Was, well, will she be upset? Yes. Why? It's, a, it's in the commercial break. Stop. <laughs> it's the shortest month of the year, meaning you've got slightly less time to check off your February to-dos. Luckily, Policy Genius can help you kill two birds with one stone, compare home and auto insurance rates, and save up to $1,055 per year. By reshopping, head to policygenius.com. Answer a few quick questions, not trick, but quick questions about yourself and your property. Then Policy Genius takes it from there. They'll compare rates from over 30 top insurers from progressive to nationwide to find your lowest quotes. The Policy Genius team will look at all the ways to maximize your savings, including bundling your home and auto policies. If Policy Genius finds a better rate than what you're paying now, they'll switch you over for free. If you're worried that March is around the corner and you've barely gotten anything done in February, take a deep breath. Policy Genius will help you make the most of this short month in minutes. Just reshop your home and auto insurance and you could save up to $1,055. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. These are the bedrocks. This is called Faded. And Ray Ficka or Fika in Arlington, who does the vocals, writes, This is Faded by the Bedrocks, a band made up of Georgetown alums from the 80s and 90s. Faded was released on Groundhog Day 2021, along with its special B-side, Faded, the Ned Ryerson mix, which just keeps <laughs> repeating the chorus over and over and over again. Thanks for always playing our songs for all you do for independent musicians. Faded and the rest of the Bedrocks catalog can be heard on Spotify, iTunes, and most major music platforms. Uh, Michael, if the Bedrocks and other independent original music groups want to send us their stuff, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. You lost your ear. Ned Ryerson. Bing. Uh, okay. Liz Clark joins us now. And the Daytona 500 actually started yesterday and apparently finished this morning. I will get to Liz about that. I wanted to set this up by just saying we've just come out of talking with Wilbon about golf, and Michael and I talked about golf earlier in the show. One golf course is on some level all golf courses. They're all 18 holes. You go from 1 to 18. You try to get the ball in the hole in the least amount of strokes. 
one auto race is all auto races. They all proceed the same way. You make the same turns. They may vary in certain lengths, but it is essentially the same. And yet, there's nobody on earth who doesn't think that the Masters is special and nobody on earth who doesn't think that the Daytona 500 is special. With that in mind, I wanted to ask about the Daytona and please include in your answer when this restarted and when this finished last night. Mm, yes. So I must push back on your premise because I okay. think racetracks are radically different. I mean, there are ovals that are half a mile around. There are ovals that are two and a half miles around. There are road courses. It's incredibly um a big deal, the difference in the courses. But to your overall point, the big kahuna, the, the, the big race, the, the, the menacing track is Daytona International Speedway, which hosts NASCAR's season opening Daytona 500. So unlike the NFL, NASCAR starts with its Super Bowl. Its biggest race of the year starts the season. So there's, you know, a whole off-season of work, pent-up excitement, um, you know, for the advent of Daytona, which this season, they, there, was a, there were wonderful storylines, really intriguing storylines going into this Daytona 500 it, at a time when NASCAR has really been struggling to uh, stop the slide in its audience, you know, to reclaim fans, reclaim a bigger share of the TV pie. Um, and they are doing so with some real aggressive, um, you would even say forward, you know, looking moves on sending the signal and word indeed that this is not the white, exclusively white Southern sport th that it came up as, that it's, you know, inclusive and has open arms for competitors, you know, from all backgrounds. And so a big narrative last night it, for me, and I think for a lot of people, was the debut of the brand-new race team co-owned by Michael Jordan um, with, with Bubba Wallace as its driver. So to your point, um, it was just – the whole thing was just snake bit in so many ways. In the first 15 laps, there was a 16-car pileup, then came lightning, then came rain. There was a six-hour delay. The thing started at 3 o'clock, I think green flag at 3 um, and it was stopped really for six hours soon after wow. it didn't restart till 9 PM and it finished at 12, 15 AM. So that's asking a preposterous amount for your fan base, certainly for any new fans that might want to tune in out of curiosity and, um, the poor broadcasters. So it, it was a bit of, it was, it was just terrible, you know, in terms of what the splash that NASCAR wanted to make. Well, I'm going to get to a lot of these things individually, but let me start sorry. with the drivers. When you don't yeah. be sorry, it's great to have you on. No, when, I said too much. When yeah. you when you start, you know, when when there's a six hour delay, mm -hmm. you're, you know, there's a way that you prepare for the event that you're going to do. You eat at a certain time. You do certain. You know, I mean that this is yes. it's so out of kilter. It's so out of whack. Mm -hmm. What is the effect on the driver? <laughs> So I did not, of course, see this firsthand. I'm watching home from right. TV. But there were some drivers who actually got in their passenger cars and left the track and went to, like, fast food places to get burgers for the team. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. There were, like, social media pictures of them going out for snacks. So, I mean, norm in normal times, the garage is full of each team has, 
you know, food and snacks and cooks. I think the pandemic has radically altered that. So they really were out foraging for food. So there's that. I mean, for the Fox broadcasters, they were equipped with canned things to show. They showed this documentary of the making of um, of, of Days of Thunder. They showed a couple previous races. But, I, you know, and they were they were all interesting. But I, it's just a pity, you know, if you're a casual fan trying to check out, oh, I want to see yeah. how that Michael Jordan car is doing. You know, you really wouldn't have known, is is this a taped race? Is this Daytona? Why is it, you know, it, it was it was just, it was tough on everybody. So I remember um, when ESPN bought the rights to NASCAR from Fox, or just maybe yeah. NASCAR sold the rights. Mm -hmm. Fox kept the Daytona. ESPN never got the Daytona. Mm -hmm. The Daytona was sacrosanct. I got to yeah. ask, it's the most important race, obviously, but why is it the first race? You know what I mean? Why do they keep it at the top like that? What's the, does, what's the rationale behind it? You're such a good interviewer because I'm stumped. I mean, and I wrote a damn book about NASCAR. I, know, I, <laughs> I really know the history of the sport. But you know, I, it just, it, as far as I'm concerned, it's always started the season. Now, a, a couple things. They start their season in February, so it's got to be in a warm weather climate. You're not going to start in, you know, Pocono, PA in February. Right. But more importantly, the Daytona 500, the, I mean, and specifically the the Daytona International Speedway, was the brainchild, the mastermind of the founder of NASCAR, Bill France, the late Bill France. Um, and he did this. I want to say it was 59. I may be off on the dates. Forgive me, 59, 60. But it was a total unabashed coveting of Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you know, which had all the sex appeal of IndyCar racing. So that is a two-and-a-half-mile oval, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So he decided he's from Florida, from Daytona. He's going to build something just as big as Indy, but with higher banks, which means the speed is going to be higher, um, if, if I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. Uh, yeah. The bank's higher. Um, so it's, it's like all ego founder, you know, if, and, and it's this weird sport where the founder of this sport built the biggest track, made the schedule, set it up. So his track, his sport, you know, this would be the big clash of symbols, uh, at the start of the season. I'm pretty sure all of that is okay. germane. So there is this great aura around the Daytona 500, and everybody, you know, if, you've, if you're like me and you've never really gone to a lot of auto races and you had the chance to go, you would go to Daytona. That's the one that you would, you would go to. There was a period of time, and I'm going to go back almost 50 years, certainly, you know, in the, in the mid-70s and late-70s and early-80s, when it appeared that, that uh, auto racing was making inroads into big cities like New York City. Uh, and that people talked about it. it was country music and it was auto racing as the people in New York decided, you know, we're going to stick our feet in these waters for a little while. And that has receded. You mentioned this early when you were talking. That fan base, the fan base has stayed, but, but the expanded fan base has receded. Why do you think that is? Well, there was that surge you mentioned, but the biggest aggressive surge push to make it nationwide came in the mid-90s to late-90s. That's when they added tracks in Las Vegas, L.A., 
Mm -hmm. um, under Brian France, and they formed this movie deal, and you started seeing like Talladega Nights and Cars and all these movies that were had a NASCAR theme to like infiltrate popular culture with how cool NASCAR was. That's when ESPN, I think, had NASCAR, and they had the best commercials, best promotions. Um, so it receded in the around 2000, the early 2000s. I would say the death of Earnhardt, of Dale Earnhardt in 2001, for a lot of people, that was the death. Sorry, that was the death of the sport. Um, but from a business standpoint, you could also say the sport overreached. And mm -hmm. in, in going to these new markets, Vegas, Texas, you know, Dallas, they took away races from the South, from their older, smaller tracks, just because there are only so many dates you can have. And so in reaching for um, a, a, a higher class, you know, a more affluent, hip clientele, they offended a lot of their hardcore fans and made them feel, you know, they were too big for their britches or, you know, NASCAR had gotten above its raising. So, um, the, the fans they were trying to get were interested for maybe a race or two, but they weren't going to, you know, go buy a motorhome and follow the circuit. Um, and then they, they, they alienated a lot of their hardcore fans. So and, then, yeah. so then it, it, it sort of shrinks back and mm -hmm. then you have the notion that it's a regional sport and it's a Southern white sport. But in fact, to my knowledge, uh, somebody I know, Brad Doherty, who yeah, uh, who yeah. loves loves NASCAR and oh, yeah. was on the early on the on the ESPN team of talking about NASCAR mm -hmm. uh, is a black basketball player from North Carolina and was the number one draft choice in the NBA by Cleveland you know twenty five years ago or whatever it was and now Michael Jordan is involved yeah. and Michael Jordan because if you grow up there as mm -hmm. Doherty and Jordan did in North Carolina mm -hmm. this is part of your life how important is Michael Jordan uh, his entrance into NASCAR, how important do you think that is? It could be huge. I mean, we will see. And Doherty, I must say, I'm sure you know this, he is a basketball player, wore the number 43 because he was yeah, such for a Petty. Petty fan. He was such yeah. a geek. You know, and of course, Jordan grows up in Wilmington, the opposite side of North Carolina. But there's there's this passion for for stock car racing throughout the state. I never knew that Jordan was a NASCAR fan, even though I covered the sport for a long time. I mean, I don't think he wore it on his sleeve in the way that, um, that Doherty did. So to your point, what is undeniable is that there's been a ton of coverage, a ton of interest in Michael Jordan co-owning this team with Denny Hamlin. It's, it's branded Michael Jordan. You know, it's the number 23 car with the red and black paint scheme. Um, and it has, this is very important for NASCAR, it has brought in companies that weren't NASCAR sponsors. I think DoorDash was the primary sponsor last night. So they've got a whole portfolio of sponsors that, you know, signed on partly because of Michael Jordan, but I think more broadly because they affirmatively want to be associated with a team that makes social justice um, inclusion, diversity, part of its message. Whereas traditionally in NASCAR, you don't talk politics. All you do is talk about your sponsor and, you know, you don't share an opinion. But this is a driver, a co-owner backed by sponsors who think this is 
you know, what, what being an athlete means, not to shut up and dribble, but to compete and speak and stand for something. So it's like Columbia, um, what do you call it, outdoor wear, and I think Dr. Pepper, I think McDonald's. They, and, and it's hard for new teams to get backing. And if you don't have, now my figures are dated, but I would say 10 to $15 million for a season to run a season competitively, you make, you know, you're not going anywhere. So there's no racing, no matter how race you, how rich you are personally, no success without corporate money. So that's very big. Um, what NASCAR wants to see is that this brings um, a broader fan base, and and they have the same wish with Pitbull, the very cool. Um, I believe he's. Is he Cuban American? He's sort of. He's from. He's from Miami. I know he's from Miami. His music and his rap and his songwriting and his. He's he's a global sensation. So he now also owns uh, co-owns a NASCAR team, and he was the Grand Marshal. So he gave the command to start engines last night. So he's, um, you know, uh, and he's also in it for this reason. He wants to change the NASCAR culture or be part of that change. So I'll get you out of here on this. Yeah. Bubba Wallace, how then important is it that Bubba Wallace wins some races? I mean, he's yeah. got to he's got to be competitive, right? He's got to yeah. win. Yeah. I mean, he, I want to say this is his fourth full-time season at the highest ranks. He hasn't yet won in the highest ranks, but he's had, you know, a good bit of fame, a lot of media attention. He's set an agenda and he's been, emerged as a leader in NASCAR without winning a cup race. Now he won at many developmental levels to get to this point. So, you know, it is important that he consistently run in the top 10 in, in, in the top five. And it would be super important. I would think if he won a race or two this year, but I'm not sure people realize how really hard that is to do. It's, it's super hard. You know, the field of, of 40 cars, um, there's, there's money that dictates success. There's the driver's skill, and there's always going to be a random bit of luck, which came into play. All of those came into play in that f- frantic last lap that was really tough to watch for me. I, I think it's thrilling a lot of people because it involves massive carnage and fire. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but nonetheless, Michael McDowell who is not a household name, had never won at this level. I, I want to say he had like 300 and some starts and never won at this level. But he is a skilled driver, particularly in the draft at Daytona, which is an art within the art or a skill within the skill. He's really good at that. His fellow drivers know that. So on his skill and his engine and his car's aerodynamics, he got himself into third. And then, you know, there was... I guess you could say a split second freak luck, you know, other people would say horrible misfortune and boneheaded decision-making maybe by others that caused the carnage and he just floored it right through and won. So he both deserved, earned, and kind of had a freakish thing happen to get that win. Such a pleasure to have you. Thank you to for you to be on. It's lovely for us. It's lovely. Thank I you, Liz. I didn't drive away your listeners. Thank you. Oh, Tony. no, we don't have any listeners. Don't worry about that. Liz Clark, <laughs> boys and girls. Bye-bye. Wonderful. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will have email and a jingle. I am Tony Kornheiser. This 
is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. We have a new sponsor of the show, Michelob Ultra. So I'd like to celebrate their joining us. You know, beer is synonymous with celebrating after a big win. It goes hand in hand with the joy that athletes experience from victory. Because of that, there is a perception that happiness and beer only come at the end of a journey, only come after the grind, after the hard work, after the win. Michelob is setting out to dismantle that perception. By partnering with some of the greatest athletes and proven winners of all time, they are demonstrating that happiness comes before the victory and that joy is a crucial ingredient on the road to success. Even the greatest athletes in the world choose to take time off the court or field to unplug, to have a beer with friends, and find balance. Michelob is not discounting the hard work and commitment that it takes to become a world-class athlete and win championships, but they firmly believe that enjoyment and balance are crucial components of the winning formula. It's not just about professional athletes. Everyone out there should know that they can and should enjoy themselves on the road to success in life, and that they should permit themselves to have fun, smile more, and have a beer with friends. Like having a Michelob Ultra, 95 calories, 2.6 grams of carbs. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. There's a man. Beatle adjacent man who took cash to speak to me. He thought that he would be safe from me. You don't know Tony. There's no way. Sun setting on this day before I do my report of things. Find how I can make his phone ring. I'm out to stalk you. Oh, I'm stalking because you don't know who I am. (laughs) Hey, Peter, you don't know who I am. I am somebody. I'm not some rum dumb. <laughs> it's just John Fitzpatrick. It's so brilliant. He writes, your man crush on Peter Asher is just so, so cute. I'm sure when you cold call him, he'll be utterly charmed. The two of you can plan some time together post-pandemic. I can see it now. Both of you walking along the Rehoboth boardwalk, stopping at the brows about sharing sunscreen and dermatologist stories. All the while, strains the green leaves of summer accompany you, not like uh, like some neo-retro music video. Nice. Of course, there's always a possibility he's frightened by your stalking. Quits cameo <laughs> altogether into camps to a London hideaway. I wrote a jingle about one of these outcomes. Listen up to find out which one. I love the fact that I had said I'm not some rum-dum, and he used rum-dum <laughs> in this song. It's just so great. Any updates on the text? So great. No, I, I haven't heard. Um, I have not heard from Peter Asher, though. I sent him a couple of emails. I think he's done with me. I just think he's done with me, <laughs> and we it. never even got started. You, you didn't wait for the. You didn't wait for a reply. You just sent a couple. Yeah, a yeah. Stream. Well, I told you know I talked about knowing Jimmy Steinman, and I didn't, no, it didn't. It didn't work. It didn't work. Do the Bethesda Bagel ad, please. Bethesda Bagels always works. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the DC area nearest you. Then pop on in and grab some bagels, and you will be thrilled. Looks like we'll just about do it for today. But before we get to the mailbag, let me just say so we beat on boats against the current, born back ceaselessly into the past. F. Scott Fitzgerald, thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon and Liz Clark. Thanks to our sponsors today, Policy Genius, Brooklyn, and Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio.com. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. 
from Mike O'Brien in Boston. What I love about you is that you stick to your guns. Asking George Millay to paint a bigger painting for you for free is why I listen to your show. Maybe you can set up an easel in the abandoned shattered bathroom hallway so at least somebody could have painted there for free. But think of all the exposure he would get to have a painting on the set of PTI and you would never mention it. I just love you thinking of you going to a museum and just yelling, give me a box of that at every painting you liked. Um, from Maurice Werner, I met you many times. You won't remember any of them. These occurred at Chatter, Clyde's, the PTI set, and even the car, uh, the Camel Holiday Party. Oh, at Tours. I spent most of my life living in the 2008. So reading you in the post in the 80s and listening to you on WTM starting in the 90s through PTI and the podcast of today feels like you're talking about my neighborhood. Well, it's because you are talking about my neighborhood. We even share the same SunTrust Bank and cleaners until politics and pros bought them out. But I prefer to do my shopping at the Cathedral Commons Giant, or at least until Wegmans opens. Okay, I'll stop sounding like a stalker. I always enjoyed people hearing enjoyed hearing people refer to their David Aldridge moments. It feels like I have one almost every show, but I didn't truly understand what a DA moment was until you read a letter on your podcast about a year ago from Jake Hodesh in Cincinnati. Hey, I know that guy, I thought to myself. His sister was best friends with a woman I was once related to by marriage. I hadn't seen or spoken to him for nearly 20 years, back when he attended GW. Great guy. He was a heck of a catcher then. Jake then pops up again a few weeks ago when he sends you a Pierre Cardin tie as an ode to his father. Hey, I know that guy too, sending sliding pics to George Michael. This is what we call the connective tissue of the show, and to top it off, you go and wear the tie on PTI. It looked great, but by the way, if you thought people were already sending you too much stuff, just wait to see what you've unleashed. I'm glad you were finally introduced to Keen Footwear. They're amazing. I highly recommend you take Ross Weber up on the offer for sandals when the weather warms up. Sincerely, proud DC native, Nats fan, and Subaru driver. Yes, I love my kids too much. Maurice Werner. From Dave Berman, I'm a few weeks behind in the podcast, so I hope it's not too late. Given your advanced age, I want to remind you of an incident that I recounted to you almost 10 years ago when a burglar broke into my home in the middle of the night and awakened my wife by shining a flashlight in her eyes while we were sleeping. And now I chased this burglar into our backyard and we struggled on the lawn until the police arrived. I bring this up because you may remember my telling you that at the sentencing hearing, I was able to express to the judge the impact of this criminal's invasion into my home, in my bedroom, where my wife sleeps and where my children play with their toys. If you remember back even further, you will recall that the pair of Allen Edmonds casual shoes with the Washington Nationals logo that I sent you as a token of my appreciation. When I sent them, I thought to myself, someday, and that day may never come, you will be called upon to return that favor. Well, Dr. Tony, this is right out of The Godfather. Well, Dr. Tony, that day has come. As it happens, you have more Skechers than you can wear in your remaining days. And I'm a size 10 and a half, and I'm in need of a pair of Skechers. Arrangements can be made through my attorney, Tom Hagen. From Dave Berman. Dave, hold tight, baby. Something might be coming. From Jamie Tulin in Albany, do you think when they pulled over Bruce Springsteen, he said the reason he was driving erratically was because the highway's jammed with broken heroes on a last chance power drive? Everybody's out on the run tonight, but there's no place left to hide. If so, that's probably the moment they knew. Thanks for the laughs. From Mary Deck in Detroit. Hello, Tony, and greetings from Detroit. As a born and bred Detroiter, I want to thank you for the kind words about our Supremes. If you ever find yourself in Detroit, please be sure to visit the wonderful Motown Museum. It's housed in the original Hitsville buildings, which began their lives as individual houses. The guided tour is excellent, and the guides really know their stuff. At the end of the tour, visitors have an opportunity to perform My Girl, The Temptations Hit, as a group. My friends treated me to the tour as a birthday gift, pre-pandemic, of course, and it was one of my favorite birthdays ever. And trust me, I've had lots of birthdays. Love the show. From Dave in Connecticut. 
Like so many others during the pandemic, I've struggled to find activities for my two high-energy boys, both ages five and two, where there is simply nowhere to go and nothing to do. So most days, I strap them into their car seats, drive them around town in one of my two low-mileage Subaru leases. Boy, do I love my kids. And listen to the pod to pass the time. Hey, do your fancy audience ratings counts in, in the, count those who are listening against their will? Fast forward to dinner. When the babysitter calls out, the ravioli is ready. I look over at my five-year-old who exclusively eats pizza, chicken nuggets, and turkey sandwiches and said, since when do you like ravioli? Since Mr. Tony said it's his favorite Italian food, he remarks back. But not with the sweet sauces. That's gross, Dad. This made me so happy. It was the single proudest moment of fatherhood in five-plus years so far. So the moral of the story is if you want your kids to try new foods, strap them into a chair whether they like it or not and throw on the pot and who knows. Maybe your kids too will take to eating ravioli, argue the benefits of Duke's mayonnaise, cited cited grilled cheese with their kindergarten class or get their vegetables delivered via salsa, the new official condiment of the month. I'm sure they sang the DT song, you gotta try new foods because they might taste good. Isn't that lovely that you can sing that so well? I had, oh, I had a couple of Peter Just give Asher the kids what they things. want. Pete the Cat songs. Okay. Um, You're still shuffling. I am. But here's, here's the one, Brian in upstate New York from Albany. It's, it's upstate. Not way upstate, but upstate. Quick thanks to the show for the Peter Asher cameo. I got one from my wife for Valentine's, and it was a smashing success. I, too, was shocked at the length of the message, and when he grabs the guitar, the guitar to sing the opening verse to A World Without Love, absolute showstopper. So cool to have someone who truly appreciates and recognizes the experience they are delivering. Thanks again. Stay happy, healthy, and safe. I didn't get that. I didn't I, I No didn't wonder he's not texting you. He's making I, I, cash. I didn't get that. Okay. I, uh, I'm just bringing that up that I didn't get that. Um, I didn't get that. I didn't get the world without love. I wanted to get that, but I didn't. And one more from Mike in Burke, Virginia. When you had Windhorst on the show Friday at one point regarding Kyrie Irving, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, if I've told this story before, stop me. Did he know what show he was on? This is the Tony Kornheiser show. Endless repetition of stories, and it's the show's very bone marrow. It's the show's raison d'etre. It's how the show rolls. Junior, tell the wooden story. If you're out on your bike time, everyone, as always, do wear white. I hate pumpkins. 